There is, in every insurance policy that I hold, and because we've moved our insurance policies recently, I'm pretty well aware that there is an exception for any uh, different thing. Do you have earthquake insurance? Do you have tornado insurance? Do you have these different things? But within that, there is a stipulation that if there is any type of act of God, you're not covered in this insurance. If there ever were a more poignant act of God, it would be in Genesis chapter 19, as God shows His character in both judging the wicked, but also in saving the righteous. Because God's character is altogether just. That's our main point coming from verses 23 through 25 in chapter 18, that the character of God is altogether just. We'll see this in two parts, that in his judgment of the wicked and in his saving of the righteous. Where we've been over the last few weeks, we've seen The story of Abram then turns to Abraham in God's choosing him to be a a blessing, to be blessed, to be a blessing to all of the nations. And most recently, we've seen three messengers, two angels and the Lord himself going to Abraham and telling him again of this covenant uh, in Isaac to be a reminder of the seed of the woman who will provide for his people a respite from the enmity between her and the enmity between the serpent. And as we've traced these different things, we have seen those two genealogies, the genealogy of the seed of the serpent and the genealogy of the seed of the woman, right? Hopefully you've noticed this. And as I've been studying, there are some Interesting notes that I'll hopefully draw out. But from Genesis 3, we have this curse in Genesis 3.15 that the serpent has deceived the woman, causing her to eat. Then we see uh, very quickly the response of that sin and the rebellion that it caused and that Cain murders Abel. We see a split then in those genealogies of the genealogy of Cain and then the genealogy then of Seth, the second, the third son of Adam and Eve. And as these things have taken place, sin and unrighteousness continues to fill the earth such that God floods the earth to begin again with a new family with Noah and his sons. And in those things, we see this table of nations taking place uh, shortly thereafter the flood recedes and that Noah's son, Ham, is, uh, sees his father uh, in an indecent state and there is a curse put on, not Ham, coincidentally, but on his son, Canaan. You may be thinking, Where on earth are we going? We're going to get there. The sons of Ham is Canaan, the Canaanites. Where is Abram called to journey from? The land of Ur of the Chaldeans, a Canaanite 
area. We see in chapter 10, verse 19, that the border of, the Can- uh, the border of Canaan includes the cities of the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah are a cursed land. Yet, Abram is given the call to be a great and mighty nation. That he's going to give them a place. He's going to make them a people. And what is the place that he's given them? Canaan. He's calling for himself He's making for himself a people, and he is giving and preparing for them a land of the land of Canaan to make what was a curse to now through Abraham and through the seed of the woman to be a blessing. That makes those weird narrative marks throughout chapters 13 and 14 that there were Canaanites living in the land where Abram and Sarai were sojourning, a little more connected. And then in chapter 14, we see Abram's nephew, Lot. That they were blessed beyond the ability for the land to hold them to the point where they split. And if you remember, why did Lot choose to go the way that he went? Because it resembled the garden. So Lot journeys eastward in Genesis 14, verse 12, and it was the land, the cities of the plains, to Sodom and Gomorrah, by which Lot chooses to reside. That story doesn't go well, even from the start, and that Abram is called to go and rescue Lot from the Battle of the five kings against the four kings. And Lot ends up being taken with the plunder. What are we told? That Abram, as this great and mighty nation, goes and plunders them and takes back Lot. We may say there's not much that would cause us to move our place of residence, but being taken by a foreign king might be up there. Yet in our text this morning, we see the absolute opposite, that Lot continues to dwell in Sodom. And so where we've left off immediately is that Abraham is meeting with these three messengers. And the messengers departed in verse 15 of chapter 18, and now they are reminding There is this inner dialogue between these messengers and the Lord in verses 16 through 21, and that they are describing what it is that they will do. That the cry of the people has come out in such a way against Sodom that God, similar to at the time of Babel, decides he must come down to see what is the scope, the depth of their wickedness. And in verse 22, Abraham receives an insight on what this will look like. So just the way that this text unfolds as a story, as a historic narrative, is that God plans 
destruction, verses 16 through 21. Then we see that Abraham intercedes for the wicked, verses 22 through 33 that we have just read. Then the third progression is that Lot is saved, but the cities are destroyed, chapters 19, verse 1 through 29. And then the fourth progression is Lot, Moab, and Ammon, verses 30 through 38 of chapter 19. So as God unfolds this plan to destroy the wicked of Sodom, what do we see? We see Abraham interceding on their behalf. And his logic is that you are the God who is just. You are judge of all the earth. What does he do? He petitions to God's character. Would you? Would you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What is the presumption? That there is righteous. Because we're told over and over and over again throughout Scripture that we all have gone astray, the prophet Isaiah tells us. Paul in Romans tells us that we all, like sheep, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We are all unrighteous. Yet Abraham's presumption is that there is a righteous. And what do we see? A whittling down of the number. As God shows, just as Abraham presumes, God is just. And God will not, God cannot allow the righteous to perish with the wicked. But what this narrative shows us is that what Abraham thinks are the righteous are in fact the wicked. And the only one righteous, those only who are preserved at the end of this narrative, Lot and his two daughters. So when we look at the character of God, it is altogether just in the way that he judges wickedness. For the plan is to strike the wicked. The plan is to hear the cries of those who are hearing of the wickedness of Sodom and to answer it with swift recourse. We might often think that the judgment on Sodom is a little extreme. Isn't it just a little over the top? I mean, they were just they were just some bad apples. Let's continue the story to see why God's character is altogether just in the way that He judges those who are wicked. Because when the messengers go to Sodom to scout out the land, when they try to sleep in the city center, who is it who comes to preserve them? Lot. Peter, in 2 Peter, describes Lot as being righteous Lot, whom God saves out of an evil and wicked people, that Lot endured the sinfulness of these people. 2 Peter 2, verse 
7, that Lot comes to them knowing his people, knowing those whom he dwells amongst, knowing their conduct, and he says, brothers, you can't be out here. Bad apples? No, the messengers respond. We will spend the night in the town square, but Lot pressed them strongly. This is not the welcoming greeting that Abraham provided them at the tent. Brothers, come in, let me make a meal for you. Wash your feet, wash off so that you would be refreshed to go on your journey. No, Lot is saying, guys, get inside the house. There's stuff out here that you don't know. But they did know. For God had seen, God had heard the cries of those about the wickedness going on in Sodom. And even before these messengers lay down in Lot's home, that it's not just a few bad apples, but it is in the English Standard Version, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. How deep does depravity go? 100%. As one pastor says, that the gospel is a reminder of how infinitely wicked we are, yet at the same time, how unfathomably accepted and loved by God we are. The depth of their sin and depravity and wickedness is complete. It is full. There is no exemption. And so they come to Lot's home. Where are these men? Verse 5. Bring them out to us that we may know them. That is not a questioning. They have no desire to know them in the way that we might want to be known. Their desire for them is a sexual, mischievous, and homosexual, abhorrent wickedness. That they desire them in such a way that Lot comes to the door and says, I beg you, do not do this. Going to the point of saying, I have two daughters. Two daughters that have never been with a man. Take them instead. Hoping if for nothing else to cause their... Uh, continued wickedness to wane for but just a moment. It does nothing. Romans chapter 1 shows us a picture of God giving up those in utter wickedness. That they will turn away from normal sexual behavior. This is what is happening in Sodom. 
wickedness, homosexual behavior that has no place in the kingdom of God and must be judged with a perfect judge. So Lot stands at the door, offers them his daughters, but the crowd coming against him tell him to stand back to the point of him being killed. And what do they say? Has Lot come to live here to be our judge? Ever heard that? Who are you to proclaim that our love is not love? Who are you to be judge over us, Lot? Who are you, O Christian, in 2022, proclaiming to a Wicked world, what is right in the sight of God? Brothers, let me go to the inverse. We do have the whole counsel of God. That when we are living and we are walking and we are talking as the word of God accords We do have the words of life. We do have the roadmap, which God says, I will bless this because this is how I made this. But brothers and sisters, if we are wielding a word that we are not walking, yet we are boastfully talking, our words will come off to a wicked world as nothing but sheer nonsense. That if we come alongside and we say, this is sin in the eyes of God, right and true. Yet at the same time, our eyes are filled with logs. There is something not right there. Because God's character is just altogether. There is nothing about Him that is not Just, he will judge your sin just as he will judge anyone else's. So what do we do? We come to protection from God to God. We don't come with a resume of righteous works. We come with a resume of Jesus Christ. By saying, my sin might not be this, but it is this. And that sin is equally as judged in the eyes of God. It is equally as wicked in the eyes of a holy God. And I must come to terms with that and give that over to the Lord. Be prepared. There will be a day, if it hasn't already come, where people will turn to you and say, who are you to be my judge? May your walking and your talking accord with the scripture you say you adhere to. And so the story continues as they are pressing against him to kill him. Who is this man who's come to now be our judge? Let us in so that we may have them. But the messengers, verse 11, struck with blindness the uh, gang of men who had sought to come and rape them. 
struck them with blindness, so that those who were at the entrance of the door, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. What is the wickedness that the cries reached the ears of God? It was infinite wickedness. It was unnatural wickedness. And it deserved punishment. So that after this scene, the angels had seen all that they needed to see, but they must remove righteous Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the judgment that would come on this wicked city would be such that there would be none who would survive. So the answer to Abraham's intercession, how many would you save? How many would you cause the city to save is any. And the answer to this question is how many righteous were there in the city? There was one. And because of that righteous man, anyone who would come under his protection was given amnesty. Do you have any sons-in-laws? Do you have any daughters? Do you have any family that you must go to? And Lot does everything that he can to rescue his sons-in-laws, but they take him to be joking. Brothers and sisters, the conversation about an eternal judgment that is coming for those who die apart from Christ is often seen as joking. Sean, you've got to be Seriously? You think that? Man, no way. God is just. The character of God is altogether just. Yet He will not judge the righteous as with the wicked. So, Lot is given this opportunity to provide... Uh, Protection for his family, and yet his sons-in-laws do not go. So Lot, with his wife and his two daughters, depart, uh, not of their own volition, mind you. We might think, man, if an angel of the Lord appeared to us and said, this place is going to burn, you need to get out. That our action and our activity would be that of trust, of faith. But I think more often than not, if we're being honest with ourselves, we might, like Lot's son-in-laws, take that message as foolishness. And be encouraged that Lot somewhat feels this way too, that it takes the angels grabbing him by the hand and leading he and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they're going, because the destruction will be so total and will be so sure, they must get out of the entire valley to find refuge. And Lot says in verse 19, Your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. But behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. 
He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor, that I will not overthrow that city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, meaning little. So we see this wickedness that pervades in Sodom. And we see Lot being preserved. But as Lot is saved, the cities are destroyed. Verses 23 through 29. As Lot and his family reach Zoar, the sun had risen on the earth when, the, when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The blessing of the promise of Abraham extends to that of his family. The protection of the blessing on Abraham extends to that of his family. It wasn't Lot. It was Abraham. How do we find protection from the impending judgment? It's not from ourselves. It would be very easy for us to put ourselves in the category of Abraham, but really we fit more adequately in the compartment or the role of Lot, or even better yet, of Sodom. You may say, that's preposterous. Don't you ever say that to me again. The sinfulness and wickedness of our hearts apart from Christ are deserving of equal punishment for we have personally defied the law of God day after day after day where the heavens declare the glories of God our hearts declare ourselves to be God and we make our own law we seek to follow those things and we are more deserving of punishment than we might think And it is only through another that we receive redemption. Through the seed promised to Abraham. Not through Abraham, the seed promised to Abraham. The seed of the woman who has crushed the serpent's head through Jesus Christ and him crucified. The punishment that landed on Sodom and Gomorrah saw its place realized on Golgotha's hill. 
That when Abraham looks out and sees as if a furnace over these cities, so too ought we to look when we look at Golgotha, that the wrath of God was satisfied in that moment. Not in the punishment of the wicked, but in the punishment of the righteous in place of the wicked. But we're told this isn't ridiculous. This isn't divine child abuse that God would sacrifice his own son for a wicked people. No, this is so that. In Christ's perfect keeping of the law, God can both be in his character altogether just and be altogether just to punish sin. But for us, he doesn't punish us as Sodom and Gomorrah. He punishes us in Christ. So brother and sister, if you are sitting there and you are wondering, what is the depth of my sin? It is infinite. It is total. But likewise, the redemption of Christ for you on the cross. It is total. It is perfect. It is finished. That if you cry out to him, the punishment deserving for you has been placed on Christ. And man or woman sitting in the pew who's not trusted in this Jesus, the punishment has yet to be dealt out. And now the decision is, who will receive my punishment? Since God is altogether just to judge wickedness, who will take my wickedness? Who will take my sin? I bid you, place it on Him. Place it on Jesus. He bids you to. He bids you to load up your burden on Him and He will give you rest. If you know the depths of your sin, take it to him. Give it to him. Turn from it. Trust in him for the total and perfect fulfillment of this salvation, of this redemption in him. For a punishment is coming. Jesus time and again talks about a punishment working its way out, coming to the day of destruction. Call out to Jesus before the day of destruction. Now, it would be awesome if this narrative ended in verse 29 of chapter 19. But it doesn't. Now, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. We don't know particularly why, but he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. 
So come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when, he, when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son. And called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Some Old Testament history just quickly as we think about Moses writing this to his people in the middle of their exile from Egypt. They have faced and will continue to face the oppression and opposition of these two nations, Moab and Ammon. The reminded pronouncement, though it's not in this narrative, yet it should ring true in our ears for those who know the Old Testament. These are not the nations of God. These are not the nations whom God has chosen as His inheritance. These are those who will come against they will show themselves to be the seed of the serpent rather than the seed of the woman. What do we see? Their end will be that of Sodom. Why? For they have not sought refuge in God. This is against Nature, just as the sinfulness of the Sodomites was against nature. You should not need a theological understanding to recognize that incest is biblically and humanly uh, wrong. Yet this is the origination of the people of Moab and the people of Ammon coming from such wickedness, such wickedness. We could probably easily look at, well, they lived in Sodom for so long that they were tainted by all of these things. And this is actually our first application, that we must adjust our standards. That when Abraham is interceding for the people of Sodom, we must, too, adjust our standards. As the prophet Isaiah says, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. When we proclaim something to be righteous, we must be doing so because God proclaims something to be righteous. So we do not say that we are righteous in and of ourselves. We say that the only way we're righteous is because the righteous man who lived the perfect life, who died the punishment for our sin, has saved the righteous. Lot was not saved by his own works. Lot was saved just as Abraham, by faith. 
that Lot, you could say, as a righteous person from 2 Peter 2, verse 7, is one who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You may say, verse 30 through 38 show a different Lot. Aren't you glad that the baggage we carried to the cross was left there? Did our unrighteous, dirty self died there? That we now live a new life in Christ? We must adjust our standards. Secondly, we must stay away from the fire. I am a self-diagnosed pyromaniac. I have gotten my fire so tall out in the backyard that I have been concerned about the pine trees that sit about 20 feet above them. Don't worry, it'll be okay. But when it comes to things like this, Lot desired a place that resembled the garden, and so he settles there in Sodom. Seeing these things, taking his family, allowing them to see these things, to then see them walking in such a way to where his wife was turned into a pillar of salt and his daughters caused such debauchery. We must beware of where our lives walk too close to the fire. Well, it it may not be sin, but man, I really like uh, going to the clubs on the weekend. That's really fun. Well, it, it, it may not be sin, but I really like to watch that show. And I know they cuss all the time and sometimes there's naked people in it, but it's not that big of a deal. Go back to point one, adjust our standards and stay away from the fire. Does any of those things, do any of those things bring glory to God? Do any of those things make you more like Jesus? And I don't really want to hear, well, I'm sharing the gospel with people in those places. Are you? If that's the case, I'd love to resource you for some of those things. Stay away from the fire. Because as the old adage goes, if you stay too close to the fire, you're going to get burned. So what do we do in light of that? Not just don't do these things, but do these things. Stay away from the fire. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus through his word. See the ways and manners in which he proclaims the good news. See the way in which he lives these things out. See the ways in which his speech and his conduct bring glory to his father. Do those things. So don't try and tow right up to the line of where sin is. Try and be as far away from it. Because a God who is altogether just is nowhere near that line. So to answer Abraham's question, would you allow the righteous to perish As with the wicked? No. 
Because the character of God is altogether just. He is just in his judgment of wickedness, and he is just in the salvation of the righteous. Aren't you glad that we serve a righteous God who provides righteousness for unrighteous people? That's where we are we've trusted in Christ, we sit in the camp of formerly unrighteous, wicked, opposed to enemies of God himself, transferred through the righteousness of Christ as sons and daughters. Live in that way, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.